Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths. Real quick, uh, we are at midsummer already here, uh, and it's crazy. I've got so many interviews coming up. A bunch from Jumpmaster Press, still getting a bunch from Creative Edge and Mickey, and I'm getting other publicists and authors contacting me. So it's pretty exciting to have all these authors want to be on the podcast and talking to all these authors, finding out about some great books. I've got some things coming up soon. I've got a book coming out with tips from the authors on the podcast. I've got uh, another video with covers. I'm going to put more covers up on the cover page. So if you haven't looked around the website, take a look. There's a whole bunch of links to the different books with categories and tags and all sorts of stuff. So really just trying to help everybody to find a book they enjoy and help the authors get their word out about their book. So support each other, support the authors, um, and try the books, read the books, let the authors know. Uh, besides that, uh, coming up, uh, we've got uh, some things for me personally. I've got a panel coming up that I am running in September. I'm also going to be on for the Cuyahoga Library. I'm going to be on a panel or something like that with several other authors coming up in August. So I'll have all that up on my S.A. Schneider website, sa-schneider.com. Uh, check that out if you want to come see me face-to-face. -face. I know I've got some videos of authors. I've been to some bookshops with them. I need to get up. I'm trying to get a couple more. So lots of things keep going on. So just check it out. If you enjoy reading these new authors and books, each week I've got a new one coming up. And if you're wondering where Kathy and where Roland and where Tom has been, I've just been so busy I haven't contacted them to get the extra episode parts in there. So I will try and get that done so we get one here in the summer before fall comes. So uh, before I talk any further, let's go hear about Gustavo. Today on Discover Wordsmiths, I have Gustavo Bondoni. Is that correct? See, I didn't ask correct, the last yes. name. <laughs> All right. So, Gustavo, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. Tell us a little bit about yourself, some things you like to do, where you live, that type of stuff outside of writing, things you don't, besides writing. Cool. I'm from Buenos Aires. I'm currently in Buenos Aires. I live in Buenos Aires. I nice. have two young daughters. I live with my wife and two daughters, plus two children from my wife's previous marriage. So there's a lot of us in the house. Nice. Outside of writing, I, I have a day job. I work for an internet company. And I also enjoy, I enjoy reading, of course. That's, I think you probably I get that a lot. The books behind you there. <laughs> yeah. And if you look to the, like to that side, there's also a little display case with a bunch of models in it airplanes and cars, which I actually built. And I also like to do some art. So the, if you look above the models, let me see if I can make 
like right above the model. There's one draw, one of my drawings is up there, which actually they were, there was two of them hanging on that wall before I put up the display case. So yeah. Nice. But, so I think you're the first South American author I've interviewed. Cool. Great. So, great yeah. to be the first. Yeah. It's a lot of South Americans write science fiction and fantasy, but not a lot of them speak English or work in the U.S. and the European markets. So it's not unusual that you might not have run into too many of us. Oh, that's interesting. I think it's great because I've been getting authors all continents. I think it's great talking to such a big variety. Yeah, it's cool. So you've got multiple kids. I know that I've had the same. How do you find time to write? So generally, I try to find a little bit of time to write when they're at school. And after that, when they're watching cartoons in the afternoon. The rest of the time becomes a little bit harder. But if I have to write during, during a fight in the middle of my house, I can actually do that. I've done it. So <laughs> Writing under fire. <laughs> yeah, during the pandemic, the pandemic was actually very good training for that because like, they were here all the time. And they were small. They were like, one of them was two and the other one was four during the pandemic. Oh, wow. And they were really needy, really small. And so that was good training, like writing when, yeah. the, when the world is like coming down around your ears. So I want to talk about your book, Colony, but I find it interesting. I want to ask you, there it is, ask you, you mentioned that a lot of South American authors like to write sci-fi and fantasy, which is interesting to me. Why do you think that is? There's a tradition, not only of straight science fiction and fantasy in the Asimov vein, but actually science fiction and fantasy in Latin America has been spilling out into every genre. So if you look at the last few greats from Latin America, if you look at Mario Vargas Llosa, who is Peruvian, or if you look at Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who is, who is a Colombian, or even our own Argentinian superstar, who is Borges, that's basically, you'll find most of that writing on the shelves titled literature, literary fiction even. But as a subgenre of literary fiction, it's basically something called magic realism, which is not straight realism. It's not, it's very much in touch with the fantastic, with the impossible, with the kind of fantasy that is just, just around the corner. So the literary fiction tradition from Latin America, and and that's just touching the, that's just scratching the surface. If you look at the really big writers from Latin America, they've all had some kind of setting in fantasy or magic realism. So that informs everything else. Plus, there's a very healthy straight science fiction community and people who like fantasy and nowadays with all the TV shows. We get the same TV shows you do. We have Netflix, we have Amazon Prime. So all of that is is very much present as well. I, I love that. And that's something I know I've heard a little bit about that in certain areas of the world, there are certain genres that are more popular than others. I know a lot of American authors try and get into Europe and England and moving down the coastline there and stuff. If you do fantasy science fiction, maybe South America is a much better target to go for first. Not if you intend to make a living because okay. being a smaller, the thing about it is being a smaller market means that only the very, very top bestsellers are actually paid. So it's, it's much better to actually sell your work into the US and European markets. A lot of Latin American publishing houses view the author by necessity, not so much because they're scammers, but by necessity, they view the author as a co-investor. 
So maybe the author, once the book is approved, needs to, I don't know, pay for the print run or things like that. So it's not a great market to work in, but it is a great market for readers. Like even if it's a, the problem is it's smaller. So, okay. So they. So, so like, we're we're going backwards here, talking some author stuff first, just because yeah. it got me interested. So you are with Jumpmaster Press. That's from Alabama right. here in the States. Is that why you chose to go with them? I chose to go with them because I actually was on a con panel with them once and they had a started talking about their business model. And I thought, whoa, I would, I have a book that works for them there. They have a military background. Colony is a colony is a military SF. It's right on the verge. It's not military SF in the traditional sense, but it has some military action in it. And I thought these guys would probably like this. I think they would be able to sell a bunch of copies. I have, I've been writing for a lot of years. I have worked with other publishers and to a certain degree, some people are actually going to say, oh, you have a book by Gustavo. My name's very easy to remember. So they'll actually get some sales from that as well. I'm probably the only Gustavo writing in English right now. So it's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned several other presses you've worked with. So that's a model that is something people can do today, not something you could do so easily before that you could have a book that Penguin Random House picks up, but you could also publish it, your, something different yourself and have a publisher here, a publisher there. What is it like to work with multiple publishers like that? It depends which publisher. Some of, most of my experiences have been really positive. I try to make sure that a publisher that likes a certain kind of book gets first right of refusal for that kind of book. If I happen to write another military science fiction novel, I will ask Guardbridge if they like it before trying to shop it to anyone else. In general, the publisher I've worked with have been really good. I work with a couple, which I'm going to mention, which are I work with Guardbridge Books in Scotland. And Guardbridge always goes to every world con and to every English con. So I might arrive and people will have already seen my book, be familiar with the book. Some of them will have already read the book, which is always interesting. I also work with an Australian press, which does really good job online, which is called Severed Press. And they work, I have a series of monster books, which they do really well. They do a really good job selling them, which is basically what you want to press for. If not, as you said, you can self-publish. I would not do a good job selling my books. So I prefer to have someone who's an expert at that doing it for me. Plus, they do really good. Another thing I always look at is cover design. For example, if you look at Colony, I act, before I sent them anything, I actually, the first thing I do when I'm looking at a press that I might send them something to evaluate is to check their cover design. If it looks professional, at least I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to end up with a professional product. How well they sell, how well they don't sell is hard sometimes to see because sometimes it's a press, sometimes it's an author. I mean, Stephen King will sell a book if I publish it. So I mean, it's not necessarily the press, but it's definitely something that I look at. So when I saw Jumpmaster's books, I thought they were really good looking and they did a really good job with Colony. So I'm really happy. And it seems that they've been selling quite a few. They go to cons and after each con, they like say, hey, we sold a bunch of your book or we sold a few of your book or, hey, we didn't sell that many of your book this time. <laughs> and they have a big table. So, yes. so it's always good to know that they're selling a bunch of mine. Yeah, when I saw them at Scares That Care, they had a huge area with a whole big wall. And yeah, it was very impressive looking and really nice guys and everything. I've got several authors coming on here from Jumpmaster 
you know, and I've been telling other authors, hey, check them out because I've dealt with them directly. I've dealt with their authors. Their authors love them. They do a great job at the cons. What there? What more could you really look for? Because you know, the, it's the those are the things that make the difference. It's easy to fake it by getting a good cover and getting a printed book. You know that is actually the easier part nowadays. It is. And books are printed on demand. So I don't know uh, I don't know what Jump Master does with their books, but normally smaller houses will print them on demand. They'll have a few, I don't know, they'll take 20 or 30 of each book to or whatever number they think is best to a con, but they don't have a, a huge investment in a print run. So it's more important to see them at the cons, to see them like, rec they recommended that I should talk to you. So that's something that for me is important because they're actually doing things for their authors. And they had a bunch of authors at the con. You, you weren't scared to care. They, yeah. I don't know if they had authors there, but they def I definitely saw a pick with a bunch of eight authors at a con. So they're doing the work and that's hugely important to me. Yeah, it is. They did have a couple authors there. They had Armin Shimmerman from Deep Space Nine that did the Illyria series. He was there. And I believe the one other guy was there, but he was like on offshoot connected. And then I thought I saw another author or two wandering around at times. Yeah, I was pretty impressed and talking to them. They were like, they have the cards for the eBooks they were giving out. You buy so much and yeah, yeah. And I thought, wow, these guys are really, let's try this. Let's do this and really getting on it. I have talked to, was it Jim? I believe. Gene? Or I did talk to Gene, but I think I, I interviewed Kyle? one of the other guys. I okay. forget his name off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm, I apologize. He's probably listening to this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know all the writers from Jumpmaster. I know, I, I know a few of them. I know a couple of them by name too, but I don't know them physically yet because I haven't been able to get to a con myself. Uh, this year, I did EasterCon a few weeks ago, which I had promised to do before the before Colony even came out, because I had a book from Guardbridge coming out at, for EasterCon. But I definitely want to get to one of the Jumpmaster cons. I've been talking back and forth to Kyle about when we can both be there at the same time. So I'll see. So I'm never in the Southeast, really. I generally, when I do go to the U.S., I'm generally either New York, Chicago, Washington. I don't Got necessarily it. go further south. Maybe Miami from way south. So that might, if there's a con in Miami, it might work out. Got it. I'm sure there are. Okay. We, we've done some author talk, which is usually what I do at the end. And we've gotten some good info on presses. So I appreciate that. We're just totally mixing it up today. Let's talk about your book, Colony. That's the one from Jumpmaster Press. You said it's a sci-fi. So tell us a little bit about the book. So the setup is the following. There's a colony ship escaping from a war which is basically humans versus uploaded humans fighting for resources and basically control of a system. And they basically said, okay, this is not for us. They jumped on a holly ship and left. Right in the middle of the war, they launched as a, actually as an escape pod because humanity was thinking we're going to lose this war. So these guys are in, they're headed to a completely empty planet, far from everything, away from the war where nobody will find them probably. And they set up their colony. The, the colony is on a very cold planet. It's not terraformed. And they set up their colony. And within a few months, they f start realizing they're not alone. And what, the way they realize they're not alone is that an, a slight, an offshoot colony of dissidents actually gets completely wiped from the map. And they have no idea who this was. There's no one on the planet. It's a completely empty planet. There's no life, there's no signs of anything, no civilization, and yet something has just 
deleted a colony and I just attacked them and there were left no survivors. So why that happened? They have to go find out. And when they, once they do, they have to fight what they find. So, so it has, as I said earlier, it has some military elements, but it's straight science fiction of the kind that you might have seen in the 50s and you might watch on TV today. So oh, I love that. So it's action packed. It's pretty, it's fun. And it has some, in my opinion, at least has some great characters. So I, I had a lot of fun writing this book too. Oh, good. That's always a good thing. People don't understand that authors enjoy writing the books sometimes. Most of the time they should actually. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Let's leave it at sometimes. <laughs> Let's leave it at sometimes. There you go. So are all your books sci-fi? I do sci-fi. I do fantasy. I have a couple of literary fiction collections from Press on the West Coast called Creators Publishing. They're actually part of the Creators Syndicate, the comic guys, comic and newspaper column syndicate. There's a couple of collections of linked short stories, very literary, very high-end, very highbrow. Then I also do fantasy. I have a military fantasy set in just before the Romans. So these are the Etruscans fighting off the Romans. And we have, I have a little bit, I also have a comic fantasy novel set in ancient Greece. Then the monster books, I have some monster books from Severed Press. And I have some short story collections which have both mainly reprint collections from magazines and anthologies, which are both nice. uh, science fiction and fantasy generally mixed together. So I have a little bit of everything. I'm, on, I'm not as nice. well, but I do a lot of fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you want to write this particular science fiction book? Because I'd written the book about the war that actually sent these guys off. And these guys just left and disappeared from the universe completely. And I wanted to know what happened to them. Like, where'd they end up? Why don't we hear from them again? So the, so that's the story I wrote in this one. It's, it, I actually do have the book before this one, which is actually, you don't need to read that one to enjoy this one. It's called Siege. It's from Severed Press, which who are the guys who do my monster books, but they're no longer doing science fiction. So that's the reason I didn't offer this one to them. So it's like a loosely, a loose sequel to right. the other one. It takes place in the same universe. It's, there was, this happened. So I was interested in knowing what happened next. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the other book, other than the fact that this is where they came from. And you said that it's got some really great characters. I think that's something else that people who don't write don't quite get sometimes that they'll say, how do you think of this and stuff? My characters told me what the story was. They start writing the story on their own. Exactly. You know how certain characters are going to react in certain, in certain moments and that's it. That's what they do. So there's one character who is very cautious and one character who is, I have a, there's one character who just writes herself. She's a doctor, a surgeon, and she is the only character in the novel, which actually swears. And she swears at everyone <laughs> because she's, she's had it with everyone. Like she's one of those doctors that says, don't bring me your crisis. I have to operate on someone's brain. Now all your things are not, your stress isn't really stress. So that's where, so she writes herself and she's very memorable. And there are a couple of others who are in that vein. So it's a character driven novel, even though it has a lot of plot in it, but the characters do push it forward. Okay. And do you have any plans for a third book in this set? I would love to, I have to get down. I really want to talk to Kyle and Jean about what they, how they see it there. And I want to get down to a con and see how people are receiving it as well. Because if there's interest, I can definitely write another book in this series because there's definitely material to play with here. Okay. 
And what about your other stuff, your fantasy and that? Do you have any plans for any books there? Yeah, I'm finishing off a book about a private, uh, it's a noirish private detective on a space station, but not a little space station like the ISS. I, uh, this is a space station in orbit around a, a colony around Tau Ceti. It's basically I have I need to get another twenty thousand words in it, so about a quarter of the I'm about three quarters to four fifths of the way through the book. That one is earmarked for an attempt at a major publisher. So, okay. so yeah, that one that uh, I've had some success going through the slush at one of the major publishers, and they still they have a couple of my books in their slush. One of them has advanced, so I send them everything that I'm doing that might fit their needs first. I can't talk about the one that's advanced, so I can't talk about any of them really because they told me not to say anything yet. So this one seems to fit their list, so that's going there. It's good, and if it doesn't work there, it's a book that I believe in. I think it's gonna. I think it's fun. It's distinctive enough that it can fit pretty much anywhere science fiction books are sold. So we'll see where nice. it ends up. Yeah. Yeah, your colony book specifically, but all your other books. What type of feedback are you getting from readers? I get generally positive feedback. It's people enjoy them. People enjoy them. They're they try to, the feedback I get that seems to be the one that that people seem to agree on is this is like golden era science fiction, but with good characterization and high quality modern writing. So the nice. I love that and ideas and the kind of feel of the book is golden age science fiction. It's actually technology positive generally, although the, the risks of technology are there too. At the same time, it's problem solution a lot of the times, but my influences have all been modern writers. So I don't necessarily write in the same way that a Heinlein would have been writing in the 45 or whatever. So it's, it's, Golden Age SF with modern writing and sensibilities. Okay, I love that. And I love science fiction from the 50s, and 40s, 60s, that era, the thin books, at least here in the States, they were like thin books. And those are yep. some of my favorites. I've got a nice collection of that type of sci-fi. Yeah. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. We got a bit of a lag. I apologize. No, it's fine. Me too. I was just going to say me too. I love science fiction from the golden era. I have... Not only just, I actually have some decent editions, some Eastern Press stuff, some Library of America stuff from that era. Nice. From It's modern, but it's work from that era. And so it's, yeah, I think you can probably see some of it behind me. There's a big, there's a big dune right there underneath a car that's over my, my right shoulder. You're, you guys are on the left. It's yeah. the sec second movie's coming out yep. soon. I saw the trailer the other day. So. Yeah, I know it's out. I haven't seen it. So speaking of movies or TV, which would you like to have Colony turned into if you had a choice? I personally, I like watching movies. As a viewer, I prefer movies to series. But I think Colony would probably make a really good series more than it would make a really good movie. Because it has, especially once they understand what they're, or once they find out that they have to deal with something, it has an episodic nature to it. Like, Something happens, they respond. Something happens, they respond until they can actually get ahead of stuff because at the beginning, they're just reacting because they have no clue what's going on. And that would work really well for a TV show more than it would for a okay. movie. It could be made a movie, but I think a TV show would actually work for this one. You, you wouldn't turn down either one. Of course not. If they want to make it a play, I'll sign on the dotted line as well. <laughs> yeah. I... They pay, they get it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, 
Apple TV just turned foundation into a show. So anything can go. They can do a good job with foundation because that's a rough one that that I was like, man, I don't know how they are going to do that. I haven't seen that one. Is it out yet? It's on Apple TV. I haven't seen it yet. It doesn't sound like something that would necessarily be straight up uh, highly interesting viewing unless they made some serious modifications it's very toppy yeah but i mean up for it i'm up for it it's i love foundation it's one of the it's one of the books the first science fiction books i ever did read back when i was a kid so yeah asimov's always been one of my favorites so i have to well you know he wrote a couple things for you to choose from to read just uh, one or two yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah. all right do you have a website gustavo yes it's gustavobondoni.com nothing I'll make sure and put links so people don't have to necessarily, hopefully, get the right one. There's probably five of you somewhere, I'm sure. Well, no, actually, there isn't because my name is weird because he. it's one of those immigrant things. So if you ever see someone with an Italian first name or last name and a first name or last name from somewhere else in Europe combined with that, so Gustavo's and Spanish first name and Bondoni's an Italian last name. When you combine them, he's from Argentina. So my best friend okay. has the same thing, but his is even more funny because he's called Federico Schliemann. Okay. He's actually related to the Schliemann who found Troy, the father of modern archaeology. Oh, wow. So he was he went to school with me, high school with me here in Argentina, and then he went to he went to college in Arizona at the U of A. And one of his professors said, Okay. Italian first name, German last name, you're from Argentina. <laughs> that's basically how I've defined it since. And there aren't very many Bondonis in Argentina, so I'm actually the only one. It's, I'm easy to find. So Nice, nice. Yeah, my both my kids have Irish names, first and middle, okay. and neither my me nor their mother are Irish at all. Whatever. The last name is German, so you got Irish and German for them. Right. All right, Gustavo... I haven't heard anybody from this. So do you have any favorite bookstores down in around you in the area? I do actually a couple of blocks from my house. There's a, there's one chain of English language bookstores in Argentina, which is called Kel K E L. And these guys have a store a couple of blocks from my house. Actually one of the guys who works there actually went to high school with me. So it's, and they already all know me. I walk in there, I go with my daughters, they tear the place up. It's all good. Nice. It's a chain. They have they probably have 10, 12 stores scattered mostly within the Buenos Aires area, but other places in the country as well. And their main business, they have a lot of fiction, they have some good stuff, but their main business is the is to is to take care of the bilingual schools. So most of the really good schools here in Argentina are bilingual. Not all of them, but most of them are bilingual. So you have English and Spanish, and it can be mixed. So like the school I went to can be, you could have maths in English and geography in Spanish or vice versa, depending on who the teacher was and what they were feeling oh, like that year. And they had, so they, so you have about half of the stuff is in English, half could be in Spanish. So they, they have a bunch of books and in it for the, basically for lesson plans. This is a, nice. Where I live, there's a bunch of English schools, like right around this bookstore, there's just there's a bunch of schools. So these guys have a ready-made audience and they sell a bunch. That's awesome. I, that's one thing I wish they did a little bit more here in the States was 
other languages a bit more. They wait till high school and then all everyone's just taking it to pass. So you don't really learn it so much. And I think that's a downfall. Yeah, that's true. It's never bad to learn another language. But the reason everyone here learns English is that English is the language we need to actually work at any, like, we have the same companies you guys do. Like we have the European companies, the American companies. So if you want to get a job at an American company, it's very good. It's a good idea to know English. If you want to get a job at a European company as well, because those guys use English as their lingua franca. So I actually learned English because I lived in the U.S. for a while. But most of my friends went to a bilingual school, went to and ended up working at major multinationals. I, we're bordered. We've got... Canada above us, and they speak a lot of French, and we've got right. South America below us that speak Spanish, but we hardly, I was terrible at Spanish in high school, but I think if we start earlier, it'd be a lot easier for the kids to understand and pick up some of our languages. Well, a lot of states in the southern U.S. actually have a majority of Hispanics now, so I know New Mexico is more Hispanic than and anything else, really. The 51, they went over 51%, I think Arizona as well. California was on the way. And I, I don't know Florida's. In Miami, it's funny. Because there's, unless you're like really obviously blonde-haired, blue-eyed, like Ameri very American, in, in Miami, they will just talk to you in Spanish, straight up. So you go to a restaurant in Miami, and the, and the waiter will ask you what you want to eat in Spanish, yep. which is yep. funny. I lived in Miami yeah. when I was really small. It was still an American city back then, and everyone spoke English. But now it's like part of Latin America, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we've got a lot more of that. Again, I wish they'd push the languages a little more. But like you said, on the flip side, English seems to be the business world right. more than any other language. Just about every country uses English as their common language. Right, yeah, exactly. Do you have, we talked about books, and you've got a ton behind you. Besides Asimov and a few, do you have any other favorite books and authors? My absolute favorite author is Douglas Adams. Hitchhiker's oh, right. Guide to the Galaxy is one of the few books I read and reread all the time. I haven't reread it in five years, so I'm going to have to sit down and get a new one. I wore out the original paperbacks from the 80s. Then I I got the complete <coughs> Hitchhiker's Guide and wore that one out. And then there was Mostly Harmless, so I had to get the more than complete Hitchhiker's Guide. And I wore that one out. And, I, and now I have one of those Barnes & Noble leather-bound editions that looks really nice on the shelf. And it, it seems to be a little sturdier. So that one seems to be holding up better. Nice. Have you heard the original BBC radio production? I've heard the radio production. I've seen the original BBC show. And I actually have the script, the radio scripts up there somewhere. I actually have a signed copy of the radio scripts up there, which everyone says, ooh, you have nice. a signed copy. And as, I, as Douglas Adams says in an introduction to a different book, there are much, much more copies of the radio script that are actually signed than unsigned. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's funny. It's not something that's worth anything. I actually was introduced to Hitchhikers through the radio program before the books. Wow. But I devoured the books. Just absolutely love them. Yeah, I do. I love them. I came to them as a kid in the 80s. I was living in Cincinnati back then. And like everyone. Oh my gosh. That's right. South of me. It is. I'm, I'm just a little ways north. I'm up by Kent State. Oh, wow. Okay. So I lived in Cincinnati from eight. 85 to about 88 when I came back to Argentina. I've been living in Argentina since 88. I actually lived in Mexico for a while in the middle there too, but mostly in Argentina. And I was living in Cincinnati and like, I'm talking mid 80s, mid to late 80s. Every kid 
between the ages of 11 and 13 was reading The Hitchhiker's Guide. And I had no clue what it was, but everyone was reading it. So I picked it up, read the first page and said, oh my God, this is for me. So <laughs> I really love funny, funny science fiction and fantasy. Like, I, have you heard of Robert Asprin? Yes. Yeah. So he was the first guy I was reading, which was funny. And then I've read everything Pratchett ever wrote. And I, even as far as Glenn Cook's Garrett series, I don't know. If so you that know. one I don't know. Oh, so that was cool. It's like a detective in a fantasy city. It's very much with the noir sensibilities, but going through the humor side, not so much for the okay. serious side. And this nice. guy, it, it, it's really fun. It's really fun. So if it's, and, if it's science fiction of humor, I like it. And then there's the Xanth series based down in Florida. Where uh, I remember reading those. Good. Nice. Top All right. <laughs> Top shelf. Great. I haven't touched those in years. I'm waiting for my daughters to get old enough to read them. My daughter's working. She's six. Yep. She's working her way through the Wizard of Oz, the first five Wizard of Oz books. Beautiful. Yep. So she's there. She's going to be seven now in June. And she's a voracious reader. My other daughter is probably going to be more of a of a sports slash jock style. I don't see her as a voracious reader, but this one is. And she's making her way through the Wizard of Oz books. And when she gets nice. those first five, which are all in one volume, I'm going to see if I start off on Harry Potter. And once she's on Harry Potter, that's it. She's Asimov and the rest can come. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, the gateway drugs. <laughs> I love that she's reading the Wizard of Oz because it's vastly different than the movie. And I think not enough kids have read Wizard of Oz in today's world. The problem I have with her is that Getting books for her age, it's not, I can't just walk down to the Barnes & Noble because they don't have the, – the Kel guys have books, but they don't have the selection. So she's reading Owl Diaries and Isadora Moon and uh, The Princess in Black, which are age-appropriate. Yep. And I – basically the only kids' stuff that I had in my library is well. I have the Lloyd Alexander books, which are a little yeah. – she's still a little young. And the yeah. Wizard of Oz books, like, let's try this. And she's working her way through it. It's not like other books. Like she inhales the princess in black. Give it to her. 40 minutes later, it's done. Uh, and you have to wait for now book depositories closed. So you have to wait for someone else to deliver the next one. So in the meantime, right. I try to give her like slightly tougher stuff to read. So she's not just rereading the same stuff all the time. And the Oz books, she's enjoying them. She is finding them a little harder going. They were written like in the early 1900s, so that's not surprising. Right. And after she gets through with the Oz books, I think she's ready for Harry Potter. That's her yeah, name. I remember reading Harry Potter to my kids, and I was halfway through book four, reading it to them at night. And they said, Daddy, just stop. Said, we both finished it on our own. We're both on book five now. They were just listening to me to be nice. And I'm like, okay, then I had to go finish them. I'm like, give them to me when you're done. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And so when, once she gets like... A couple of years from now, the Zank books are still there. They're gathering dust right now because they're – I liked them when I was a kid. I don't know how well they'd hold up as an adult. I haven't been brave enough to try them in the last – since I have the first 30 or so, I think. They're up there. Yeah. And I, haven't I did go back. 15 years ago. I did go back and read them and – as an adult, I didn't think they held up quite as well, but my seven-year-old self would probably still enjoy them. Exactly. I read them as a preteen and as a teen, so I'm giving her a couple more years. But the, she's, I think she's a little ahead of where I was at her age. To start with, she reads in two languages. When I was a kid, I was in, I was out, I was in Argentina. I was in, I was in the U.S. and in Europe. So I was only reading in English. I really had a tough time learning to read and write in Spanish when I got back, to the point where I still write in English. 
So like I can write an email in Spanish and it's grammatically fine, but I can't write literature in Spanish. It sounds terrible. Like the rhythm, wow. the flow, the, the yeah. words just, they're there, they make sense, they tell a story, but it's not literature. It's just someone telling a story. It's very different. I have a very different feel for the language, which is the language I used when I was a kid was English. So here I, that's what I write in, which actually helps me out a bit because as I said, the market's much bigger. But it's but my 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 eldest daughter reads in both languages, so she's going to have a, a a head start. That's great. I love that. All right, Gustavo, this has been really enjoyable talking to you. I love it. So before we go, though, if somebody came up to you on the street and said, "Hey, I heard you wrote a science fiction book. Why should I get your book and read it?" What would you tell them? Because it's fun. Because you're going to enjoy it. Because you're going to forget about everything that's going on around you, and be. A, and if it's colony, if you pick up colony, you're going to be on a different planet with completely different problems. And you're going to forget about the mortgage and the boss and the clients <laughs> for a few hours. And that's always cool. Nice. Okay. And there you go. And it's from an author who likes Douglas Adams. So he's got a good foundation. That's cool. All right. Well, Gustavo, thank you for being on today. I really love talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for, to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use, so I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.